I'm Jason Palmer, one of the hosts of The Intelligence, The Economist's daily current affairs podcast. The Economist's award-winning shows make sense of what matters, from our special series on China's president to our weekly podcasts on business, technology, and American politics. Our journalists provide fair, in-depth reporting on the events shaping the world. Search for Economist Podcasts Plus and sign up to our free one-month trial. It's time to say goodbye to old music and say hello to fast customer support with Service Cloud. With trusted AI and data working together, you can skip long wait times and deliver efficient, personalized service right away. All while keeping support costs low and more customers happy. Reimagine your customer support with the number one AI CRM for service. Learn what's possible at Salesforce.com/products/service. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Dara Lee Lyons about her book, Demystifying Diversity: Embracing Our Shared Humanity. Daryl Lyons, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, John. It's great to be joining you and your listeners. Thank you. I'm excited to have a nice conversation today. We're going to be focusing on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And Daryl new book, Demystifying Diversity: Embracing Our Shared Humanity. I love that title. I'm really excited to explore this topic with you today. As we get started, I wanted to share Daryl's bio with everybody. Daryl Lyons is a journalist, an actor, and an activist. She has written more than two dozen full-length books, a handful of short stories, and countless articles performed in various plays and improv comedy shows. She is a member of the National Association of Black Journalists and and summa cum laude graduate of NYU with a double major in English and religious studies and a minor in history. After writing an award-winning children's book, I'm Mixed, about embracing her multi-ethnic heritage, Darylise found her passion and her purpose educating others about the need to embrace all aspects of themselves. She then went on to create the Demystifying Diversity podcast and to write the book Demystifying Diversity Embrace our embracing our shared humanity. She works tirelessly as a full-time DEI expert and inclusivity strategist. I love it. Uh, everything about your background and, and your focus is fantastic and such important work. Thank you so much for joining me today. Anything else you would like to share by way of background or personal context before we dive on into the conversation? Yeah, thank you so much, John. I I think my bio says quite a lot, so thank you for getting through all of that. Um, just the thing I will say is that for me, you know, it it doesn't feel like work. It feels like more of a, I don't know, like a yearning of my soul to do this, and so it it definitely feels like um, 
a mixture. There are times when it's really hard and grinding and there are times when it feels like dancing and like play. And, um, and mainly it's just, I, I like to say that I get to fall in love with people for a living. You know, I get to interview hundreds and hundreds of people from all different backgrounds, all different stratospheres of life. And there's such beauty in that, in learning about the richness that comes from diversity. And for me, I found it to be so expansive as opposed to limiting. I think sometimes people get afraid of DEI, um, but but it is it, it has opened my life in ways that um, I can't even convey in words, uh, which is saying something because I love to talk and I love to write. So. <laughs> well, that that is wonderful, and you know how lucky to to have found work that just so directly fits your passion. Uh, it sounds. You know, I, I often hear people talking about their work as a calling uh, when they describe it the way you just did, um, where you just feel driven, um, purpose-driven to, to make a difference in the world. And, and clearly, the diversity, equity, and inclusion space is one of those spaces that is messy, it's, it's challenging, um, you know, people are, can be very uncomfortable, and, and you have well-intentioned, well-meaning people who just, you know, are trying to figure out what to do <laughs> and how to do it um, without hurting people in the process. And that's a really hard thing. Um, and so this space is a, is a challenging one. There's lots of tension. And, uh, you know, like you said, a- every job, all work has the stuff that we don't always love doing, some of the tedious stuff that, that has to be done. Um, but it is wonderful when we can connect with our purpose, our passion, and our, you know, personal calling. If, if that's what we want to call it. Yeah, you know, and I mean, maybe I'm biased here. I mean, I know I'm biased, right? Like that's part of the work that I do is, is looking at the fact that we as human beings all have biases. But I, I believe that anyone can benefit from exposure to different people, different experiences, different um, learning. So, you know, I, I think sometimes people do themselves a disservice by, as you said, the work can be uncomfortable and sometimes you don't know what to do. And I find that many people will will push up against that edge and maybe take a step back or stop doing the work or stop engaging um, in meaningful ways. And I have found that to be so, so counterproductive. It's like any other skill, right? And if I wanted to learn algebra, I would probably make some early mistakes as I was learning algebra, Um, but it would benefit me to kind of keep pushing through and maybe get some coaching and maybe read a little bit about it and, you know, and, and continue to engage with the material. And I think diversity, equity, and inclusion is certainly um, a far more enriching, perhaps I've used it far more than my high school algebra. I'll just say that. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so my wife is a math teacher, um, so she might take exception to that a wee bit, but I, I get where you're coming from. And I, you know, my background, social science and, uh, you know, uh, consulting in this similar space and, and teaching at the university. And I get it, you know, I've always been more... Um, on this side of the spectrum, uh, in terms of, you know, my focus and where I put my energies, uh, similar to, to what you do. Um, so tell me a little bit about how you found yourself in this space. Uh, why, why did you end up focusing on DE&I? Uh, and how did you get into your podcast and writing your book? Yeah, so uh, I'm 37 now, and I want to say that I was born into this work because I'm biracial, and so my mom is white and my dad is black, 
And I was really lucky looking back um, to have been told that that was a, a, that I could hold those simultaneous identities. You know, I didn't ever feel like I had to choose one side or the other along this imaginary racial divide. I never felt like, um, I guess I always felt an appreciation for my blackness and an appreciation for my whiteness and looked at my the rich cultural heritages that um, that I was born into as a as a benefit. And so I navigated the world that way. Um, and that led to a lot of conversations with people about race you know, <laughs> for my whole life. And, uh, and then later I came out as bisexual and that led to a lot of conversations about, uh, you know, just living in the spectrum between extremes. And so I feel like I, I had started to do that just as a, like as a passion, just because people were curious and they found me someone that they could talk to about things. And, um, and I also have an inquisitive spirit. So I kind of, I, I feel like I was informally engaging in these topics for a long, long time. And then I wrote a book, a children's book called I'm Mixed, which I wrote under the pseudonym Maggie Williams a couple years ago. And that came out and just the reception for that book was amazing and far beyond what I thought it would be, John. And I kind of didn't even realize that as children who looked like me were growing up, um, being able to see themselves reflected in someone else's story and know that they could choose to be both, you know, they could choose to be all of the fullness of their identity um, was really freeing for them. And I got so many wonderful letters and was invited to do a lot of speaking around it. And then I realized, you know, I want to I want to do more with this. And so I started um, interviewing people and, and doing work for other people's platforms around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And then um, my business partner, Anna Marie Jones, called me one day and she said, you know, what do you think if we work on a diversity project together? And I said, yes, you know, and then from there, the Demystifying Diversity podcast was born. And as I was doing um all of the interviewing for that as I was writing the podcast scripts, as I was doing, you know, kind of churning material out, I realized that um, it, podcasts are wonderful. They're incredible. We're doing a podcast now, you know, it's great. It's learning. Um, and it tends to be a little more passive learning and, and more passive um, listening and taking inter information in. And so I wanted to write a book that would give people the ability to begin to apply some of those skills um, that we were talking about in the podcast and to really have some action steps so that they could engage in meaningful ways um, and put the information into practice. And so that was the impetus behind writing um, Demystifying Diversity, Embracing Our Shared Humanity. Well, that's so great. And you know, as you were describing that, your, your personal background is such that you just found yourself having these conversations naturally, right? Um, as you said that, though, I, I recognize that not everyone would embrace having those conversations from your similar background, right? So you made an active choice to engage in those conversations to, to kind of navigate that uncomfortable space um, rather than, you know, as many people do, they, they either stay in the closet or they choose an identity uh, and hide another identity. Um, you know, there's lots of, uh, of ways that people handle those types of situations, uh, but, but you chose to embrace it. You chose to have those conversations with people. 
and to help people like me, you know, I'm a middle-aged straight white dude um, who, you know, I'm trying to do the best I can, but I'm sure I put my foot in my mouth often. And, uh, but, you know, I want to be an ally. I want to be supportive. I want to be helpful. I want uh, to, to create an inclusive and culture, an inclusive culture within the organizations I lead. And I want to be supportive of those around me. And so, I need people to be able to have that kind of dialogue with, I need to be able to explore and understand and learn and grow. And, and when I mess up, I need to figure out why and how I can do better. And, and I think we all kind of find ourselves in that space. So I, I appreciate your willingness to engage uh, in, in something that is, it's challenging. Uh, and, and that ultimately, you know, you were able to find your comfort level within, you know, that kind of the, that messiness and that space um, but it, it benefits so many people. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And I like that you talked about a culture of inclusivity because my experience is that, you know, there there were a lot of factors that allowed me to be willing and able to engage in the way that I am. Um, from my familial background and my upbringing of feeling loved and embraced by all sides of, you know, the people around me, by Um, having a lot of exposure to people of different racial and ethnic backgrounds and feeling just welcomed (laughs) and wanted in all of those contexts by being raised. I was raised by a single mother until I was 11. And then she met and married my stepdad. Um, So I was kind of raised to be a very precocious child where it was okay to be inquisitive. And we got to talk about things and nothing was off limits. I mean, I could ask my mother any, anything and she'd be like, all right, well, I guess we're going to have to tackle this now, you know? And so I, so I think, you know, this American ethos of individualism teaches us that like people, you know, right, like, like I have these qualities and I can do it and I can pull myself up by my bootstraps and, you know, all those things. But my experiences is that nothing originates in a vacuum. So like, yeah, I'm fully capable of having these conversations. And if I had different Uh, cultural roots, if I had different upbringings, if I was given different messages about um, sharing authentically of myself, I I don't think, you know, I don't think anything intrinsic to me um, makes me any more or less capable of doing this than anyone else. I think it's just a whole lot of practice and and a lot of love and support and an environment where whoever I was, was going to be okay. I just, you know, like, and, and was going to be safe to talk about. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great. And having that safety to, to talk and explore and have the dialogue is really important. And I, you know, I, I think of from, from your perspective, of course, that was important to be able to feel safe, to be authentic Um, from the other side of the equation, like from someone like me who comes from a completely different background um, being safe to be able to have a dialogue, you know, where I, I'm not going to be called out as a bigot or a racist because I accidentally say something wrong, even though, you know, I'm, I'm trying. Um, I think that's important. Um, and so that, uh, so that I can lean into the, the discomfort and the uncertainty and, and learn as I go. Right. And something you said that I, th- I think is really important too, is just recognizing we all come from different backgrounds. We're all enculturated differently. We have different norms and values in our upbringing and our home life, our, our family life. Um, you know, all, all of that kind of the aggregate of all of that makes us who we are for better or worse. And so 
part of what I think is so important about the DEI discussions that happen is that we, you know, we, we don't we don't give a pass to people being bigoted or racist, but yeah. we we recognize that a lot of times, largely from no fault of their own, they were brought up in a in a an environment with certain ideas uh, that got kind of ingrained and embedded into their psyche that have to be undone, right? And and so you know, creating a, a judgment-free zone where people can just learn about their biases, their prejudices, learn to recognize them, learn how to address them and how to um, mitigate them and, 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 and then have healthy dialogue. I mean, that's so vital. And if we can't do that bridge building work, then, you know, we'll just be more and more polarized and we won't be able to, to help people learn and grow. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Yeah, I'll share an example from my own life that I think is fairly instructive. So I'm uh, in recovery, years in recovery from uh, anorexia and bulimia. And when I was started out on that journey of recovery, I thought that the way that I was going to deal with it was to push, you know, all of the symptoms, all of my dysfunction, all of that, like push it down, right. And stuff it down and just deal with it and get over it. And what I learned as I began to to deepen my recovery was that actually it was in learning to love like all the parts of myself, all the crevices, all the crannies to expose all the things to the light and really look at like, okay, well, what, you know, what is driving me and what is going on and what are the things that are um, dysfunctional or, you know, pained or, or whatnot. Like as I started to begin to expose that more and more and more, I started to really have an authentic sense of self-love and humility, you know, and humility at the same time, because like, it's not always fun looking at that stuff. But, um, but it was, it was great. Like I got to, I got to love myself the way that I was loved by others and the way that I was taught to, to be as a child um, in the process of kind of doing this deep recovery work. And why I share that is that I think people often will do the same thing when it comes to an uncomfortable topic like racism or bias or prejudice. It's like, 
you know, in trying to stuff it down, we actually intensify these things. And so I'm not saying if you have a prejudiced thought or you have a racist thought, like you need to go and tell the person that you're judging, you know, this is what I'm thinking of you. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying that, you know, notice if biases are coming up for you, if you're judging a certain a person who presents a certain way or whatever, you know, write that down, make a note, journal about it. Um, uh, challenge yourself to investigate like, okay, if I'm judging a member of this race or this religion or whatever, what can I um, learn about this, these, this person or something about this person's background that is inspiring to me that is hopeful, like, let's, let's bring this stuff out so that we can move through it. And, and that's what I have found in every area of my life that I resist delving into. It's like, it's gonna just get bigger and worse until I deal with it. And I think, you know, on a national level, we're, we're, we're dealing with that. Like we have an invitation to either move into recovery or not uh, from, from the past and, and to acknowledge that the past is still and will always influence the present. And, you know, and if we don't engage with that, well, then it, it can't get better. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So everything we're talking about, I think has a lot of uh, relevance to individuals listening. You know, I, I, I need to do that inner work, that self-work to, to recognize my implicit biases, my prejudices. I need to, to learn from the lived experience of others who are different than me. So, so I can learn to, to appreciate um, their background, their story, their, their um, the challenges that they face and develop some more compassion and empathy for them. So on an individual level, that's super important. Um, but we do a lot of this work within organizations. Um, there's tons of research that talks about the benefits of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. It's very clear that diverse workforces are more uh, innovative and creative uh, bottom line results for organizations. Uh, and we could run down, you know, all of those stats, but it, the problem still persists. The, the business case for diversity, equity, and inclusion is crystal clear. Um, the human case for diversity, equity, and inclusion is crystal clear. Uh, if we're going to be good, moral, ethical people, you know, we need to treat everyone with dignity and respect. Um, that shouldn't be in question. Yet the problem persists. In organizations, we still have all sorts of challenges around having an inclusive environment and a safe environment. So what's, what are some of the things that you do with clients to try to help move the needle and actually get past having the dialogue, which is super important, for that inner self work that we need to do, but start to, to, to shift and change the, the organizational culture, the policies, practices, procedures that systemically, you know, continue the, the whatever the, the, the harm has been in the past. Absolutely. I love that question. Before I answer it, I want to dial it back a little bit to something that you said, because it'll inform how I answer this question. So John, you spoke about how, um, you know, the human case is crystal clear. You talked about how, you know, it, it helps us to be more empathetic. It helps us to be a better person. It helps us to just be good relatives to one another. You know, it's, um, and I want to give another, um, another reason why it's actually highly important is because 
most of us walking around today are being driven by internal forms of oppression that we are not cognizant of, right? Like messages that you were told that when you were five years old about how you needed to be, you know, because of your gender, because of your race, you know, things that you um, experienced in terms of feeling left out or isolated, right? Like we're all, all of us are kind of carrying certain wounds um, certain messages, certain beliefs about what is and is not permissible. And so I have found that as we engage with diversity, equity, and inclusion work, as I engage with this work, not only does it help me to be better to others, but it helps me to be more fully and authentically myself. And so I just wanted to say that, and, and it helps the people I work with are like, oh my gosh, you know, I didn't realize that I was oppressing myself in this way. I didn't realize that, you know, I could like let my hair be natural and enjoy that as opposed to straightening it because that's what I was always told to do, or I didn't know that I, I mean, just different things come up for people and it, and, and it really helps them in their personal life and in their parenting and in, you know, a lot of things in the home life. And so why I share that before going into the, the organizations and the work that I do in organizations is because I think that as long as we make this work about someone else, um, the motive isn't quite there. The drive doesn't tend to be there as much as if there's a self-interest involved. And even to the extent that we make it about like, okay, well, let's look at the profitability of businesses, which increases, you know, let's look at inclusivity and, 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 and why, you know, the ideas and the innovations are better. Well, you know, that's all well and good, but I think most of us are wired. We're all wired with that flight fight freeze response. And so um, when our backs are to the wall, we revert to old ways of being. We kind of like our automatic programming uh, takes over. And so I find that when people start to really feel themselves shifting in positive ways and stepping into a more empowered version of who they are, they get on fire about this work and it becomes really, really exciting. And you kind of, then you're, you're like, okay, stop, you know, like it's all right. <laughs> you don't have to do it 24 seven. So I try to really um, kind of enter into it in a way where the focus begins on self and then moves outward. And I have found that that is way more effective. So like when I'm working with coaching clients and stuff, I'll ask them, okay, well, what are some biases that you hold against yourself? What are some judgments that you have about what you're allowed to be and do in the space? What are times when you have felt personally ostracized or uncomfortable? Like, let's talk about that first. And then when we start to talk about that, that person starts to realize, oh my gosh, this is what I would need to feel safer. And how do I kind of radiate that outwards? And, and, and then they start to really, um, I guess I want to say internalize this work in a more meaningful way. And then the outward expression of it um, gets better. And, and community building, I think, is really important as well in corporations that uh, we have to kind of dismantle this notion that my winning means you lose or you winning means I lose, because I think there is still some of that that often operates in a corporate structure. And so like leadership models kind of have to change. And, we, and I tend to work with people around, okay, well, what is the concept of servant leadership? And if you're really being a good 
you know, a good boss, a good employer, um, ideally you, you kind of want your employees to outgrow you and outpace you. And if you operate from that sense, um, then things get better. So it's, it's kind of both, right? Like working on that community level, working on a cultural level, but also supporting individuals in disentangling themselves from their own bias and prejudice that is self-directed and that internalized oppression. I, I love it. I love it. Um, Darylise, everything that we've been talking about has been just so insightful and fascinating. And I'm sad that our time is coming to a close, um, but we've only scratched the surface. I think uh, if, if you ever want to come back on, I would love to have you uh, again, so we can continue the conversation. That. I would love that. Yeah, we did just scratch the surface. I'm like, but there's so much more. But yeah, I would love to come back. <laughs> but before we close today, I just wanted to make sure I gave you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, uh, find out about your podcast, your book, the work that you do as a coach and a consultant, uh, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Sure, absolutely. So there's two primary ways that people can contact me directly. You can either go to demystifyingdiversitypodcast.com or you can go to daraleeslyons.com. And my name is spelled D-A-R-A-L-Y-S-E-L-Y-O-N-S.com. The Demystifying Diversity Podcast is available anywhere you listen to podcasts. And the book, Demystifying Diversity, Embracing Our Shared Humanity, uh, should be available in bookstores everywhere. But uh, depending on pandemic restrictions, you may still want to just order that uh, online. And I guess... um, Yeah, what I would encourage your listeners to think about today in terms of like what's a current actionable item that they can take from this is to think about something in your life that would get better if you could could give yourself permission to be more fully who you are. Um, And so I would just encourage people to think about that. So for example, you know, I did an episode on fat activism and fat liberation and and people talking about sort of diet culture and how painful it is to be in bodies and be judging themselves. So like, you know, what if you could just be you today and not judge your body or, um, or if there's an element of your sexuality that you'd like to express and, or, you know, just, just something, just think about, you know, if the world were a safer place, what, what would, what would I let out? You know, who, what part of me would, would I express? And then, um, find someone to share that with, you know, just find, find a place of connection and intersection with someone where you can, you can create a moment of safety and a moment of authenticity, because I think that is, you know, that is the work of embracing our shared humanity. And it begins often by leading with vulnerability, not expecting other people to, to be the first to go Mm. with their vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been a real pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, to get connected with Darylise, check out her podcast, her book, see what she and her organization can do to help you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine 
designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.